Whichever way you look at it, I'm a walking contradiction. Most tighthead props are angry, aggressive alpha males. I'm laid back and mellow, and I've always preferred the shadows to the spotlight. My international colleague, Gethin Jenkins, is one of the most miserable blokes in rugby, and he channels that misery into his performances. His anger off the pitch translates into energy on it, and his opponents bear the brunt. I may be less angry, but I'm no less committed. I'm not aggressive in everyday life, but I have endless reserves to call upon when I cross the whitewash. Woe betide anyone who thinks they're going to get an easy ride when they pack down against me. The scrummage is what defines me, and you can guarantee that when I'm squatting, bound onto my colleagues and staring down my opponent, I'm going to put every last ounce of fury and power into it. Don't be fooled by the cuddly image and the laid-back demeanour. When I need to be, I'm a machine, and if I drive your head into the turf or smash you out of a ruck, you'll know about it. That's my job. I don't play rugby to have an outlet for my inner rage. I don't have any inner rage. I play because I love to, and I play to win. If I hurt someone, it's collateral damage, an inevitable consequence of contact sport. It's not because I go out there wanting to inflict pain. You don't have to be a frothing-at-the-mouth, eyeballs-bulging psychopath to be a front-rower. Having said all this, my wife would prefer it if I did vent a little more. She sometimes calls me Trevor Jordash, after the character from Brookside, who buried bodies under the patio. Not because she thinks I'm a serial killer, but because I keep things bottled up. I hate confrontation, and I'm hopeless at arguing. Sometimes it's good to shout things out and clear the air, but my instinct is always to go quiet and retreat into my shell. It's a trait I've had since childhood, and not a very good one. I'm not one of those guys who'll ring my coach up in a rage after being dropped, demanding an explanation. Nicole has tried to goad me into it at times, because that's her nature. She's the feisty one in our relationship. That aspect of my personality probably explains why I was largely indifferent to the regional rugby revolution that transformed the landscape in Wales overnight. A decision was made to reduce the number of professional sides from nine to five. The WRU, headed by its controversial chief executive David Moffat, had decided that there was only enough money to support five sides. So either four would have to bite the dust, or the nine would have to merge into regions. It caused untold heartbreak among fans, and huge fault lines appeared in the fabric of the game that remain to this day. As far as I was concerned, it was just a sign of progress and the ongoing evolution of the professional game. The English had stolen a march, and we needed to do something to catch up. Much of what I knew about the regional revolution I read in the papers. Every week new mergers were being proposed, with a map of Wales constantly being drawn and redrawn along geographical and tribal lines. There were also murmurings of a development team to be based in North Wales, a part of the country that's never really had much of a rugby identity, which the WRU was keen to exploit. As the weeks rolled by, I heard a few mutterings that I'd been shortlisted, along with Paul James and several others, to join that side in the North. I was playing for Wales under-21s at the time, and was fairly chilled about the idea. I thought it'd be a good step for me. But just as I was getting settled on that idea, I had a phone call from Lynn Jones, saying that Swansea and Neath had agreed to merge to form the nascent Ospreys, and not only did they want me to be part of it, but they were offering me a substantial pay rise. Where do I sign? was my eager response. 
the official launch of the Ospreys was held incongruously at Revolution Nightclub in Swansea. Scott Gibbs, the Swansea centre and celebrated lion, was the poster boy. He and Shane Williams were paraded around in the new jerseys, but it all felt very low-key. The place was less than half full, and there was little in the way of razzmatazz. Roger Blythe, the Swansea chairman, spoke before opening up the floor to the public. There followed a deluge of angry inquiries about the shirt, almost all from dyed-in-the-wool Swansea fans. They probably had a point. It did look remarkably like the old Neath shirt. It was black, with a Maltese cross. There was an osprey on the badge as well, which supposedly represented Swansea, but this wasn't appeasing the irate fans, who thought they were being robbed of more than a century of history and tradition for the sake of some random, nebulous brand that had precious little to do with a team they'd followed all their lives. The presence of Scott Gibbs was the only thing that seemed...